Welcome back to what is episode 14 of Chopped, Strength Through Vulnerability. And this is part two of the Spring Classic doubleheader. Much awaited part two. So obviously last week's episode was an emotional one and I don't think I'll ever write another episode of this podcast where Joe, Miss Edwards, Mrs. Joanne Seawood isn't in my thoughts, given she was always so supportive, always full of encouragement. And it's hard to write and record this as though the events of last week never happened. In many ways, even with the year that I've just had, it was a reminder to me that this thing called life is precious, that our time on this earth is finite. So you've got to make the very best of it. Take every opportunity, do the things you've always wanted to do, but have been putting off for whatever reason. And like John Lennon sings in Beautiful Boy, Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. That's another song, Butchered. I know Joe would have been stoked to hear about how the Spring Classic went and how invigorated and energised I was following it. But given what's happened and also the length of time from the Spring, from the Spring, from the Spring Classic to writing part two of the double header, it's difficult writing about it with the enthusiasm I felt in the days immediately after the event. But I met some great people on both the Saturday and the Sunday. And as outset Dan said to me on the Monday when I called him to let him know how his two protégés had got on, he was at great pains or he went to great lengths to say, bottle this, bottle how you're feeling right now, bottle it. Arriving on the Saturday morning, the first thing I noticed was that Thanks Dot London's gazebo had gone, vanished, not a sign. Perhaps he'd sold out, job done, packed up, gone home. Also worth noting, that the tent adjacent to Thanks Dot London's that had been erected on the Thursday and that had showed no signs of life throughout the Friday remained zipped up on the Saturday morning. <coughs> the Marie Celeste of festival tents, no less. My wife at Little Withers thought the chop shop could be merchandised better and took control of the setup of the stall. And when she'd finished, it looked considerably better. More product was on display than the previous day and it looked more enticing and welcoming to passers-by. A little later on, I saw Thanks Dot London. He'd moved around the corner to be closer to the action. Party boy. The first visitors of the morning arrived, and once again, it was at Cycle for Hope and his wife. They popped by to see if I had electric and if they could, <laughs> could charge their phones. Yeah, you can charge your phones. But while they were on the store, they purchased an orange easy peelers hoodie for their daughter. As the morning progressed, there were a good few people mooching around, a few more groms had been messing around on the indoor board. But then a guy came by who had spoken to the day before. We'd spoken about the origins of chops, although primarily we'd spoken about football. It was the same guy I mentioned in part one. Anyway, he says to me, listen mate, I really like and respect what you're doing, I really do, but I must have a hundred t-shirts at home. So if I buy another t-shirt, the wife is not gonna be happy with me but I want to support you, I want to support you in what you're doing. So here's 20 quid for a t-shirt, but you give it to someone from me, someone who you think deserves it. What a cool guy. As I just said, there are a few groms messing about on the indoor board, and who's more deserving of a t-shirt than a Stoke Gromit? So I said to the lads messing about, if any of you can land a 180, and obviously I took the opportunity at this point to demonstrate a 180 to them, if you can do a 180, then you can have a free t-shirt. 
So I think there was three of them taking turns and then within about five minutes of me announcing that the one-arm challenge, well, the one-arm challenge, the 180 challenge is back on, one of them lands one straight away. Do I get a free T-shirt? Do I get a free T-shirt? Yeah, man. So that's another small men's tea in the hands of a grom. Explaining chops isn't entirely straightforward. Um, when I covered for that one Blue Eye Cornwall from time to time over the weekend, describing his business to passers-by was fairly easy. He takes everyday plastic items and he recycles them into products used in everyday life. Obviously there's more to it than that, but in a nutshell, that's his business. How do you, ex how do you describe or explain why I'm stood in a field selling t-shirts? And I suppose that's one of the things I've gone over most in my mind in the weeks and days leading up to the Spring Classic. And what was really fantastic about the people I met over the weekend was how giving people were with their time and their willingness to listen. What is CHOP? Well, it began as a mental health project, really. It's something I did in the aftermath of the CHOP to give purpose and meaning to my life post-op. Anyway, I go on and on and ramble on and on. Anyway, mid-morning, a mid-30s couple with a young child wandered by, attracted at first bite. You know what, don't you? Yeah, the indoor board. Anyway, we get chatting. And up until five years ago, they'd lived in Dubai. They spoke about how they'd seen it develop from a sandy desert outpost to the towering metropolis it is now. A year before COVID, they'd sold up and moved to Indonesia to set up a luxury yoga and well-being retreat. All was going well with their new venture. And then the world shut down. And that global shutdown did for their fledgling business. Subsequently, they've moved back to England and here we are chatting. The husband liked and purchased a hot pink hand splash sweater. And while he was trying it on, I was chatting to his wife and we came around to chatting around my arm. What had happened, but more around what I've done to manage my mental and emotional well-being. And there's been a few people, people who are close to me or who have been lifelong friends that have suggested looking into doing some sort of public speaking which is definitely something I'd like to explore. But always in the back of my mind, it's people who know me being supportive. There's always that gnawing self-doubt in the back of my mind, always. Anyway, the lady I was talking to works for a mental health charity working in the construction sector. My memory's a bit hazy, but I'm sure she said that the construction sector has one of the highest rates of male suicide of any professional sector. And she went on to suggest have I ever thought of doing any sort of public speaking? So it was really reassuring to hear that suggested by someone who didn't, who I didn't know. So I gave her a business card. Business card. As yet, I've yet to hear back and probably never will hear back from her. But she did buy a lightweight Kelly Green ABB sweater. But more than that, more than the sales, I suppose what I was starting to realise, more than a sales event, this was more an opportunity to network to spread the word and meet a wider range of people. And as much as I'm keen to speak about why I'm stood in a field selling t-shirts, and, and when I met with the black farmer midway through our lunch, he looked me square in the eye and said, what's your purpose? To which I suggested to get back in the sea surfing. No, no, that's not your purpose, he replied. That's something you like doing, but not your purpose. And he went on to say, if you're doing a podcast, if you're speaking on the radio, then you want to be seen, you want to be heard. You want to be seen and heard. And then he posed a question to the chop business overlord and myself. 
What is it about surfing? What is it you get from surfing? Freedom, replied the overlord. Then turning back to me, Wilfred said, so that's your purpose, to be seen, to be heard and to have freedom. That's your purpose. And it's hard to argue with that. Hard to argue that that's that this is what well, that's what this is all about. I don't know why my response to the amputation of my left arm has resulted in this, but it has. So standing on that field, chatting to people, probably wasn't so much around selling clothes, but more about being seen and being heard. And there was a sense of freedom in that field. The morning gave way to the afternoon, and as it did, I started to become increasingly aware of the FA Cup final that was getting closer and closer. Groms kept coming back to the store, keen on landing the 180 to win their friend t to win their free T-shirt. I've made a lot of mistakes in this podcast. One of the images that's seared into my mind is there's a group of Groms knocking around on the indoor board, and as they're doing so, one of the lads are given a free T-shirt a free T-shirt to the day before. Walks through the main gate, and he's got on his white OK finger curl T-shirt, backpack on, carrying his skateboard and his helmet swinging from his bag. As he made his way to the stall, I could see his white tee was fairly dirty. I saw that as a good sign. It means he'd been wearing it. Anyway, he walked straight over to me and he's like, Hey man, I love my tea. I've been telling everyone about it. I was absolutely buzzing. The image I have of him wandering toward the stall would have made such a cool picture for an advert. But what, a, but what better way of marketing and advertising than a Grom repping the brand on the mini ramp? Probably one of the most memorable things I um, probably one of the most memorable meetings I had over the weekend was with at Harmer Sports Bet. He bought a hot pink hand splash sweater, and he was, and my wife confirmed this, a handsome chap. He bought the sweater, and then almost as he was, I can't get it, I can't get my words out in this one. He bought the sweater, and then almost as he was leaving, asked, "Is this your brand?" What followed must have been at least a forty-five minute conversation. We spoke about how it all began as a mental health project, as I spoke around the cancer diagnosis and the mango-sized sarcoma at Harmer Sports Vet shared with me his family's experience of sarcoma. And at this point, I need to be really honest as I can't exactly recall the relation to the family member he spoke about, so apologies for that. But I know it wasn't immediate family. Not that that makes it any less sad, but a family member nonetheless, only young, was diagnosed with a sarcoma in his knee and sadly passed away less than a year after being diagnosed. And I've said this on many occasions, the more I learn about sarcoma, the more I think, well, possibly no, I'm lucky to be alive. Had I found that lump a few months later, the outcome for me may well have been very different. So we had a great conversation and it turns out at Harmer Sports Vet had recently left a large veterinary practice in the southeast to set up his own smaller equine veterinary practice in the southwest. In setting up his practice, he'd had some of his own branded merchandise made up through a friend of his who owns his own garment embroidery business. Not only that, his wife is a brand, mar uh, is a brand marketing manager who he, said would up who he said would be only too happy to help me out. Obviously, it's nice to make a sale, but perhaps more than that, it tapped into what the black farmer had suggested my purpose might be, that of being seen and heard. The afternoon's main event, the FA Cup final, was fast approaching, but before it did, <laughs> but before I did, that doesn't make sense, I met a really inspiring teenage girl. 
Anyway, walking by with the mum, the way she moved sort of suggested she might have had cerebral palsy, not that I'm expert, but kind of that was the, the impression I got. Her mum asked if she could have a go on the indoor board. So, yeah, no problem. Anyway, I helped her on and it, initially I sort of held her by her forearm and she grabbed my forearm. And her mum turned to me and asked how I knew to hold her by the forearm as opposed to her wrist. And I said, oh, I don't know, just seems more natural, I suppose. And the reason for a question, three weeks earlier, someone had held her daughter's wrist while skateboarding and when she'd taken a tumble, it had resulted in her spraining her wrist. Anyway, her daughter picked up indoor boarding in no time at all. As I say, she was an absolute inspiration and it was a mum who picked up on the line, born to ride, no excuses, pointing to her daughter as the living embodiment of that. And she was, stood there ripping on the indoor board and she was starved of oxygen for nearly two minutes at birth. And her mum went on to explain that she loved skateboarding and that she could do kickflips. Now, I'm going to be honest here, part of me was thinking, yeah, okay, of course she can. But then her mum whips out her phone and started showing me videos of her daughter doing and landing kickflips. What a truly remarkable human being. Born to kickflip, no excuses. So the mum and I must have stood chatting for a good 15, 20 minutes. Occasionally I'd help her daughter on the indoor board and then her husband wanders over with her two other children. A brief introduction and pleasantries exchanged. He mooched around the store before purchasing a navy blue ABB lightweight raglan sweater. With time now nearing three o'clock and the FA Cup final kickoff, I retreated into the chop shop. Now I was expecting to listen on the radio and I went onto the BBC Sports app, expecting to find a link to the radio commentary. But to my surprise, it wasn't a radio link, but a TV one. What a result. So I settled into my chair and within 60 seconds, City were winning. I'd watched maybe 10 minutes or so of the match when a young couple wandered into the chop shop. I said, hi, how are you doing? Feel free to have a look around. Any questions, feel free to ask. If I seem a little distracted, apologies, but the FA Cup final's just started. Anyway, we got chatting. I explained the story behind the brand. I had a lovely chat. They were very cool about me getting repeatedly distracted by the crowd noises emanating from my phone. At one point I said to them, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a terrible salesman. Anyway, they ended up buying a t-shirt but to take the payment on my card reader meant leaving the BBC Sports app to load the sum up app. As I was doing so, the lad said to me, how do you feel if United scored now? So I was like, well, it'd be a bit, bit sweet, won't it? I've just made a sale, but obviously I'd rather United didn't score. Anyway, they leave the chop shop. I'm straight back onto the BBC Sports app, which takes a good few seconds of buffering before rejoining the match. And wouldn't you know it, fucking United had scored. Anyway, half-time came and so did some of the Groms who'd earlier called by. There was three of them. One already had his, uh, one had already nailed the 180, so he had his tea. But the other two were a pair of t-shirt hounds. They weren't going home without their free tees. Anyway, they must have spent a good 20 minutes doing it. And one of them eventually lands it. So that's another free tee given out. To cut a long story short, the lad who hadn't yet landed a 180 must have come back at least three or four further times and never stopped trying. But he never asked me once if he could have a tea. But given how hard he'd tried, how much effort he'd put in, how could I not give him a free tea? Anyway, later that evening, the guy who'd given me the 20 quid swung by, congratulated me on City's victory and on our achievement of winning the league and FA Cup double. I told him about the Groms, how they'd been on the indoor board all day. And now I said to them, 
if they landed a 180, I'd give him a free tea. When, I'm a to- when I told him his 20 quid had meant three young lads were going home with T-shirts, he was absolutely buzzing. And it genuinely felt like everyone was a winner in that scenario. Everyone was happy. I said this many times, but I met so many sound people over the weekend that I can't mention them all. But notable shout-outs going out to at True, True North Surf Club, really, really sound couple, and also to at T4.family, who are also really cool. But the tale I'm going to draw the Spring Classic double header to an end with is this one. So... Late in the afternoon, my wife starts chatting to two ladies. They're chatting for a good while before I join the conversation. So one of the ladies' sons was the top-ranked MotoGP rider for his age in the country. A month earlier at what I think was a time trial before a race, her son, her son a kid, a lad named Johnny Garnis, and I have asked if they're OK with me sharing this story, so they said, absolutely, you can. Anyway, uh, so the young lad, Johnny Garnis, top-ranked um, MotoGP rider, comes off a bike, speeds somewhere around 100 miles an hour. Anyway, my story, my time out of the water, my time unable to surf and the brand ethos, born to ride, no excuses, really resonated with Johnny Garnis's mum. So I think both her and a friend both bought a sweater, but as they were doing so, her husband and his mate wandered by, his wife introduced me and we got chatting. Obviously, initially, we spoke about his son's crash a month earlier. Pretty much the first thing he said to me was, I blame myself. I should never have allowed him to do it. To which I think both my wife and I said, well, you can't blame yourself. He was doing something he loved and that he was clearly good at. To which he replied, yeah, but if you gave your child heroin, they'd love that too. I explained that my daughter loves horse riding and rugby and both of those aren't without risk. Um... So, anyway, listening to him recount the day of his son's crash was basically every parent's worst nightmare. Following the crash, he ran over to the crash scene. Paramedics and the track staff were already on the scene. And one of the notions to the dad nodding his head whilst doing that sort of internationally recognised hand signal, meaning, yeah, he's not made it, you know the one. Uh, but unbelievably, Johnny had survived. He'd broken the fifth and sixth vertebrae in his neck, <clears throat> but he was alive. He walked by later on with a couple of his mates and he was wearing what I can only describe as a fairly substantial neck brace, but he was walking. And if the fifth and sixth vertebrae don't heal with the neck brace, then it's one of those halo things that's attached to your skull. And if that doesn't work, then it's surgery. And that surgery involves going in through the front of his neck and then fusing the damaged vertebrae to adjoining healthy or undamaged vertebrae. So... I don't think I can truly retell that story in the way it was told to me because it was a really emotional story. Obviously, listeners to this pod will know I've got a tendency to cry. And by the end of that, I I had tears in my eyes, really. But the question I had to ask him, so when he's healed and made a full recovery, what are you going to do when he says to you he wants to get back on his bike? And his dad was adamant he wouldn't let him. But his old man was into riding motocross bikes and was no stranger to coming off himself. And when Johnny Garnis makes, and I really hope he does make a full recovery, I think it'll be very hard, if not impossible, to keep him off a bike. The very thing that had attracted his mum to the CHOP logo was the brand ethos. Born to ride, no excuses. And that's her son. So the dad, his mate and I had a great chat. He got to talking about the loss of my arm and I've spoken at length about the amputation of my arm in the first two episodes of this pod. 
But one thing he said to me, which has been mentioned definitely by one other person, possibly two, but no more, was this. You must have had a lot of faith and belief in those surgeons to trust them to the extent you had to do. And then he turned to his mate and said, if they turned around to you and said, we're taking your arm off, what would you do? And his mate just looked a bit befuddled, to be honest. So last Thursday, I went and met Captain Surgeon Professor Rory Rickard for a checkup, and it was the first time I'd seen him since he came to visit me on the ward on the Monday following the surgery the week before. What I said in the first episode about how Professor Rickard delivered the news and how he couldn't have really done it any better was what I told Johnny Garnis's old man. And Professor Rickard and, and his team, they have a gravitas about them. And he's, he's, he's a laid-back guy and he's incredibly personable. Chat to him really easily. But he's one of those people who, when he talks, you're all ears. So, yeah, I've trusted Professor Rickard, I've trusted Mr Adrian Marchbank and, and Lieutenant Colonel Chris Taylor. I had 100% trust in them. But the reality was, what other option did I have? So anyway, by chop shop closing time, I was fairly emotional. I'd met and spoke with so many amazing people. It was incredibly reassuring that the chopped concept did resonate with strangers. I'd made plenty of sales, way more than I'd ever dared dream of. But more than that, the thing that will always stay with me was how willing strangers were to share their stories with me. That blew me away a bit. And when I said this to that one blue eye Cornwall, he made as he has a habit of doing, a really good point. He said, <clears throat> the thing is, you're so open about what's happened to you, that encourages others to open up to you. And I never really envisaged that happening, but it was really, really humbling, really humbling that people felt that they could share their stories with me. So with the stall closed, it was time to go and enjoy a bit of the festival. And what a location for a festival, perched high on a cliff, looking down at Woolacoon Beach below. I was stood with, my fr with, a, friend of my, uh, with a friend of my wife who'd moved down to Ilfracoon with her husband and, ch and children last year, who has her own ceramics business. Check her out at Blue Bow. Really good. Really worth a look. Um, she was telling me how much she'd learnt from doing small stall markets and was echoing, <coughs> and I was echoing that. <coughs> oh, God, sorry. <coughs> right, a little bit of coffee incoming. But there's not much left of it. Um, yeah, so she was telling me how much she'd learnt from doing small stall markets and I was echoing that, that I'd learnt loads, that I'd learnt so much over Friday and Saturday, but literally, as I was telling her, my pre-festival wish, which was that one cool looking person come by the chop shop on the Friday morning and then wander around the festival arousing interest. As I turned round, who should I see wearing a bright pink hand splash sweater his wife had bought the day before, only the one and only at Cycle for Hope, looking absolutely resplendent, repping the chopped. So Eduardo and I had a big hug and he told me he thought I was inspirational. Now, coming from a guy who rose, who's rode five and a half thousand miles around Wales, raising money, for raising money for children in need, that is some compliment. So, thank you, at Cycle for Hope. You're an absolute legend. That night, hanging out with one blue eye Cornwall and his crew with the sunset and had a few moments. The first being a massive sense of imposter syndrome brought on whenever I saw someone wearing a chopped outfit, or chopped outfit, chopped garment. 
And I mentioned this to one blue eye and he said to me, you've got so much self-doubt, haven't you, mate? To which I agreed, yeah, definitely. But he went on to say, at some point, you need to recognise that this is happening for you. People are buying into you and what you're doing. As I said in part one of the Spring Classic Double Header, at One Blue Eye Cornwall is a properly, a prob a properly sound human being. Anyway, watching the sunset, there were a good few moments where I reflected on the year I've had. And there were moments 12 months ago where I didn't know whether I'd be enjoying sunsets for very much longer. Genuine, oh, genuinely, I think that Saturday at the Spring Classic is one of the very best Saturdays I've had in a very, very, very long time. I wasn't expecting much on the Sunday and I don't want to appear to gloss over it because I met plenty more sound people and even made a good few more sales. I think I've said previously that I'm a terrible salesman, but what seemed to work really well was just chatting to people just for talking sake, not pressurising people into buying anything. And the vast majority of the, the sales I made on the Sunday were to people I'd spoken to on the previous two days. The couple who I sold a tea to during the FA Cup final did say to me, you're a better salesman than you think. But that definitely remains to be seen. Packing up on Sunday afternoon, both One Blue Eye and I noticed that the tent to the left of Thanks.London's original pitch never had anyone in it. As we were telling the site manager this, it was One Blue Eye who probably happened upon what they'd done. A non-food pitch costs £200, of which £150 is refunded if you leave your pitch tidy. With your pitch, you get four free tickets and, if needed, a further four at half price. One Blue Eye's assumption was they'd registered as traders, taken the four free tickets, attended the festival, and then they get their 150 quid back because it was tidy. Not a bad idea at all. And there you go, that's a little festival hack for you there. So with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. But before I do, I'm going to finish up reflecting on this year, on this time last year, when shit was really starting to get real. If you'd have said to me this time last year, I'd have had my own fledgling brand, be writing and recording my own podcast, I wouldn't have believed you. Added to that, I was having two surfs a day last weekend. Thankfully, I found that lump in time, as I said a good few times to Captain Surgeon Professor Rory Rickard last Thursday. Thank you for saving my life. As always, thank you for giving some of your time to listen to me and chop strength through vulnerability. Go steady. I'm out.